My job to get on the phone was to be the immovable nice guy. <laughs> and the nicer you are, the more immovable you could be. Mm. You know, you know, you know, and I'll, forgive me for picking on Mr. Donald Trump right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the style of being, you can be very aggressive without, or very assertive without being aggressive. And his style is, he wants to yell at people, you know, he wants to intimidate his way in. You don't have to give up that much assertion. You just you don't, you don't want to be that mean. You don't want to be that hard on people. For example, what do you mean? Like how? Well, you know, there's there's a, we're, we're in L.A. Yes. Um, there's a great guy here in town. His name is Tom Girardi. Voted top trial attorney in California several years in a row by the Bar Association. He gets a voted top trial attorney so many times that when they put it on the front page, they say, again. Wow. So he comes in and he's a guest of my class at USC. And he stepped, and I know he's a top trial attorney, but I don't know his style. I figure he's going to be an attack dog. Because I spent so much time in New York, you know, I'm used to attack dog attorneys. And Tom walks into the class and he says, you know, the key to negotiation is being nice and gentle. Now, what Tom does by being nice is get you to drop your guard. And Tom is an immovable, unrelenting opponent. And that's why he's so successful, and he's ridiculously nice about it. <laughs> like, he smiles, and he chats with people, and he always talks about how we'll collaborate with each other in the future. He's, you, you get into an argument with him, and immediately he'll bend it, where he's talking with you about how you and I are going to be successful together 10 years from now, mm. or in the future. Which is the same thing a hostage negotiator does. Like if you're barricading a bank, I'm going to say my first goal is to get you out of there alive. Well, I picked a point in the future that we can collaborate on. Tom Girardi does this instinctively, and he's just super nice about it. Mm. I mean, like you, either you're going to cooperate with him because you like him so much, he's never going to let up on you, or more than likely you're going to say something accidentally. Mm. And and he gets people saying stuff accidentally, and he and then he can and then he doesn't jump on you if you say something accidentally. Right. He lets you say so many things accidentally. What do you mean accidentally? You well, like you know, he loves to get people on on uncovering emails that they never should have written. Hmm. Like if you if you send Tom an email saying Tom, let's go have lunch together, he will not email you back saying okay. Because he doesn't put anything in emails because that's the downfall of almost every single lawsuit. Somebody who's done something wrong is going to put it in an email. Wow. And Tom knows if he's nice to the other side long enough, he's going to figure out where those emails are. So, and that's what people do all the time. You know, lawsuits are uncovered. People get into trouble with what they put in emails. When, wow. When they, when they say, hey, they send a, uh, an email to somebody else, they say, hey, you know, we've, you know we shouldn't be doing this. And a person sends an email back saying, like, yeah, it's okay. Nobody's ever going to find out. Oh, my gosh. In today's day and age, people put stuff in emails. And so Tom knows he's just relentlessly nice. Mm. Relentless. And the most charming guy you ever met in your life. Wow. So you don't have to be aggressive. Secret to gaining the upper hand in a negotiation is giving the other side the illusion of control. Now, I'm coming at you as a very control-oriented negotiator. Right. As soon as you don't struggle with me over control, you actually begin to gain an advantage. Because so, then you feel like you're in control, right? And you if, don't have to try to gain it anymore. Right, right. I'm more than likely going to start dropping my... If I'm a control freak guy, if I want to talk all the time, I'm a control freak guy. Mm-hmm. Control freak t- uh, negotiators who want to talk all the time, they feel out of control when they're not talking. So you want to get them to the point where they don't talk, but they don't talk because 
they're relaxed, not because they're trying to seize control. Right. So you did you, you did a real nice job with that. Now the the only thing, one, another thing that we teach is, see, you're not going to give me a car. Right. And you try to make it sound like you were going to. Yeah. Now I teach how to say no. Uh huh. And and then you want to feel other ways of saying because the real answer to that, just like at the very beginning of my book, you're supposed to look look at me and say. How am I supposed to do that? Mm, so poise it back to a question. Right. Uh, a, a how question. An open-ended question. Well, not just open-ended, how. Okay. How is a key to life? Yes is nothing without how. See, you know, if I, and, and you could also start talking about how without talking about yes. Mm, so just say, what I even how say. Would I, you could say, how would I do that? Would I say, I'd love to get you what you need. How would I do that? Just how would I do that? How would I do that? So give them the control to figure out the solution. Right, right, right. How am I supposed to get you the car in that time frame? Mm. Because that's what you're trying to express. There actually is a time problem here. Right. In 60 seconds, how am I supposed to get you a car? Right, right. That's different than we can get a car. We just need 60 more seconds. Right. (laughs) We need more time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because now I think think you're ducking me. Okay. But if you instead you say, like, how am I, you know, yeah, of course, the cars are out here right away. But first of all, I gotta I gotta tell everybody what we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody to get surprised. Let's talk through the details of how this is gonna get done. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, what got you here in the first place? Mm. You know how do how do how do you find yourself into this kind of a situation? How do I make sure I get you out of there alive? The succession of how questions. How am I supposed to promise to get you a car if I don't know that she's going to come out alive? Mm. You take what you want and make it the path to what I want. Mm. You know, how am I supposed to get you in here if it doesn't benefit me also? Right. So as as soon as in any negotiation, what I want is now a means of getting what you want then that changes the dynamic right away. So how do you deal in a negotiation with the kind of person who has to win, who has to get everything they want, they're very controlling, alpha, right? and it's their way or no way? Well, getting everything they want is actually third on their list. First of all, being in control is number one on their list, and that's emotionally satisfying. Mm. The second thing is the alpha type, which is uh, we refer to that as the, the assertive, the one thing that's more important to them than actually getting what they want is being respected and making sure that you know everything about what they're coming from. So, and it's a classic guy who's working for his boss and said, you know what, my boss didn't do what I wanted him to do, but he heard me out, or she heard me out. Mm. I can live with the direction that we're going as long as I know that my boss knows my opinion. And so that the assertive type of negotiator, it's really more important to them that they felt felt that they uh, conducted themselves respected, respectably, that you respected them, and that you knew what they were coming from. Mm. And once they know those things, they'll actually soften up on what they want. If they feel disrespected, they'll probably be more frustrated and angry and right. demanding. Right, 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 right. So you have because to when they're very demanding. What they're really saying to you subtly is, I want you to know how important this is to me. Right. I want you to know how important I am. So how do you meet that person? Just come to them with 
respect or with yeah, calm was, or you know you could say look you're 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 impressive you're phenomenal you've thought it's all out this is very yeah i mean clearly you know where you're coming from you know what you want um i'm lucky to be talking to you at all right <laughs> i mean if were i to sit down with, with donald trump i would in fact be lucky to be in the same room with him that'd be the first thing i'd say to him i'd say stroke his ego you're an american icon Right. You know, you, you're the symbol of American business, certainly in New York City. Yeah, you know, stro- stroking her ego is not a bad thing. One of the, one, And, it, you know, it's a version of empathy because that, that's how they see themselves. Mm. And, you know, the, 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 the emotional recognition, like emotional currency is not going to solve every deal. I just don't want to try to solve any deal with money when I could have solved it with emotional currency. I'm mm. saving my money. With emotional... Yeah. Empathy, currency, intelligence. Right, yeah. right. My money's too important to me to waste it when I could buy something with satisfaction. All right, excellent. Uh, Luis, I see you got a hand up. Or Luis, please. Good morning. Thank you. Um, Brandon, last time you made some comments on how to deal with analysts and accommodators. I was wondering if you can get a little bit more with assertive people and those that really are stretching things, um, kind of what the process is to manage down with those and negotiate with those people um, and maybe even see how they tick or make them tick in a broader direction. So, All right. Fantastic. No, great question. And, and I'm really glad you asked it because we were, we were just talking a little bit about Chris. And for those of you that don't know, Chris's natural type is assertive. And, and I think, you know, to your point about dealing with assertives in general, I think that's a direct effect of his mental fatigue middle of the afternoon because he spent so much energy aggressively coming at people up until that point in the day that it's just, it's hard to keep up that level of aggression or, or assertiveness. And it does, in fact, wear you out, you know, mentally and physically. And so, um, you know, I think, I think being very cognizant of, you know, somewhat, somewhat of what we would call a circadian rhythm, right, a little bit, and knowing that they're probably mentally fatigued, and then you could even come at it that way. You know, I, it's late in the day, boss. I'd imagine you've already thought through a lot of decisions, and you, 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 you don't really want to think through any more at this point in the day. Do you have an issue with X? No, bang, you're out the door, right? And um, um, if you're dealing with someone, you know, especially an assertive that maybe sometimes might forget what they said or forget what they committed to because they were just too busy being aggressive. When you get in that moment, you know, three, uh, excuse me, the rule of three is this idea if we get confirmation from someone in some form three times before we move forward. Number one, because people have a tendency to remember things they agreed to three times. And number two, it also creates an emotional moment that we can refer back to later on in the timeline, right? Let's say something blows up. You can go back, when you said this three times, how was I supposed to interpret that, right? And so specifically with dealing with an assertive, do you got a problem with me doing it, doing X? No, okay, that's your that's your first of three confirmations as it were in the moment you could easily follow that up with a label sounds like you're not going to have any issue with this no 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 of course not please please go ahead all right and then you could paraphrase it 
So you're good with me taking on this effort and handling it this way. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's good to go. Go ahead and get out of my office. Now you've gotten that three times, and if something blows up or they change their mind down the line, you got the for all intents and purposes, the incident defense. When we talked about this last week, and I asked you three times, what 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 did you want me to interpret from that? Right. And now you're essentially off the hook. So that, that's one. And then another one that's just in general with dealing with assertives. We know that they like to talk, right? They, they generally have a dissertation they need to get off their chest. Mm -hmm. Mirrors are a great way to navigate your way through that dissertation. And specifically when you're mirroring, right, as they're going on and on, they're going to say stuff that is actually important to you. Eventually, they're going to say something that you want them to focus on. That's what you end up mirroring. Okay. And it very much directs their thought process, kind of like a, you know, like a pinball and a pinball machine, your flippers or the mirrors for all intents and purposes. But that's, that's a great question. I'm thinking specifically, I'm dealing with a broker, he sources good sites for us. Um, I'm a real estate developer and he sources good sites. Okay. And let's say market commissions are at 3%. Well, he okay. comes and says, well, I'm bringing all this, I want 6%. And I'm getting this with XYZ and blah, 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 and just hammering through. And you guys are just not being grateful enough. The market is at three. And and he's starting to negotiate at six and really just throwing it at your face, making facts up. And uh, how do you, is it, love to hear more of that. Maybe it's repeating the same thing uh, that you just said, or maybe there's a slight twist to that. Yeah, no, great, great question. So, and I, lo I love the uh, clarification here. So, yes, mirrors are going to be helpful, right? When he's when he's rambling on, as it were. What's nice is you got a bit of a relationship with this guy, and you understand how he works a little bit, how he ticks, and so that should inform you on how what a good accusations audit should look like. And so, um, I know you put in the time to source this information, right? You've clearly put in work. And obviously you're gonna feel like there's a certain amount of this that belongs to you for X reasons. That could be your start, especially in regards to, uh, you know, these commission percentages and things of that nature, what percentage belongs to him and vice versa. And then go silent, right? Cause you wanna say, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then you could follow up with, you know, What I got to say next, you're, you're really not going to like, right? How bad, how, how much, how bad of a position would we put you in? What sort of damage do we potentially uh, let ourselves in for by saying we can't, we can't do that? By saying that this isn't something that works for us. You know, out the gate, we know that this is a problem. What, what sort of damage do we let ourselves in for by letting you know this is an issue for us, right? And then, right, you're putting, you're putting the problem back on him to solve, but you're also at the same time sounding him out, right? You know that he feels like he worked hard, he's deserved, and you're worried about causing damage. And now it's easy to work with you, it's easy to respect you, and know that you're somewhat trying to protect all of us at the same time. And so that that would kind of be a, a decent start for an interaction with uh, with, this, with a person of that nature. 
Remember, you don't get in life what's fair, you get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. So what are some of the other parallels you've seen or some of the ideas that have crossed over from hostage negotiation to business negotiation or negotiation in kind of everyday life? Well, the other side always wants more. They just don't know where it is. And as soon as they feel listened to, they're going to be more amenable to other ideas. There are three basic types in negotiation, and, and they, they get us back to the caveman response, you know, because the caveman part of our brain, the amygdala, that where every thought goes through there. Evolution hasn't evolved that out of our brain. It's still there. And so when the caveman saw something, he thought, I run from it, I kill it, or I make friends with it. It becomes part of my tribe. Fight, flight, or make friends. It eats me, I mate with it. You know, however you want to describe those three basic responses. But in each one of those responses, coming to an agreement is a secondary benefit. There's always something more important to the other side than coming to an agreement. And part of that is always in being understood. So if I can gain leverage on you, if I can get more of what I want by not spending a dime, but by simply letting you know I understand, then I open up the opportunity to get more for me and to have you like it. Stuart Diamond wrote a book that I love the title of. It's called Getting More. It sounds very selfish. But it's, in fact, you know, what we all want. We want all want to do better. Getting more is also about having, from my context, it's also getting more by having better relationships, by having someone want to collaborate with you, by having the same person want to do business with you again instead of you needing to search for new business counterparts all the time. You know, I have tremendous respect for Donald Trump and what he's accomplished as a negotiator and as a businessman. Understand that he has to change his business venues every few years with this very aggressive approach because people get tired of that aggressive approach. When was the last time he put up a building in New York City that came anywhere near to Trump Tower, the Grand Central Station? Magnificent pieces of real estate that he did back in the 80s. Having to look for new business partners all the time means that he has to continually move from place to place to place. Not all of us have the ability to do this. Most of us, like Warren Buffett, we'd, I'd rather be like Warren Buffett because he's got to be not only the richest guy in Omaha, but he may be one of the richest people on the planet. He hasn't gone from place to place to place. And not all of us want to move from place to place to place, almost as if we're in the witness security program. We want to stay in one place and we want to flourish and we want to prosper. And you do that by having great relationships and having people wanting to continue to do business with you. And that's a lot of what this is really designed to do. So you talked about the difference in style between Trump and Warren Buffett. Tell me about how that plays into the sort of the three different negotiating styles, which, which you touched on as well, and describe a little bit kind of what each of those styles are. Well, you know, one style is, is a very extremely assertive. I suppose that, you know, even more than saying it's assertive, it's aggressive. And the aggressive style is intoxicating because you beat the other side and you have victory and you celebrate. The problem with that is the more people you beat, the fewer people want to do business with you. And what, what really comes to pass is I was talking to an executive in an energy company in Boston several years ago, uh, the CEO of the company. 
And in his industry, he developed a relationship of being a very tough negotiator. And after a while, no one would make deals with him. Everybody that he talked to, if by definition you did business with him, he won, that meant you lost. Nobody wanted to do business with him. And he was in a position, he actually had a deal on his desk that he negotiated every single point with the CEO from the other company and the CEO refused to sign. Having negotiated and agreed to every point when it came to signing at the bottom, he wouldn't sign. And he said, I know why this guy won't do this. I've got such a reputation as a tough negotiator. If he signs a deal, it means he lost and he knows his board's gonna fire him because he lost. And that's the residue of being the very assertive guy. When you always win, the other side always loses. And pretty soon people lose their appetite for that. Nobody wants to do business with you. And to all due respect for Mr. Trump, his businesses are spread all over the world. He doesn't stay in one place. He's not putting buildings up in New York City anymore. He's not building casinos in Atlantic City anymore. He'll build a golf course or a resort in one location, and then he'll have to move on. And my assessment is he's left such a toxic residue with each deal that people don't want to continue to do business with him. That's one type. Now, he actually prefers to be understood Interestingly enough, and you know, the book that he's he's gotten some criticism over as to whether or not he wrote it. I don't know the art of the deal. I don't know if he wrote it or not. His co-author is bad mouthing him now, which is another interesting residue of being assertive. But I read that a long time ago. And he was more than willing to talk about and describe the people that could handle him. And there are people that have handled him. His son in law is one of them. His son-in-law is not one of the assertive, aggressive types. His son-in-law is very analytical. His son-in-law is very quiet, Ivanka's husband, I believe. And this is the great description of what I refer to as the analytical guy. The analytical guy doesn't like open conflict. He sees it as being extremely nonproductive. The analytical guy thinks things through, and you will never discuss a problem with an analytical person until they have at least one solution and probably multiple solutions. So the analytical guy, the non-open combat guy, can do very well with the assertive negotiator. And you, you see that play out in Donald Trump's organization with the people that he seems to have the most respect for. So that's the second type. And then the third type is uh, the person who's relationship-oriented. And they make friends. They bring you into their tribe. They want you to be part of their life. They want to have a long-term, ongoing relationship with you. They're likable. And there's an interesting statistic that people who are likable, you're six times more likely to make a deal with someone you like. And that becomes a very strong tactic to be brought into a negotiation. You can understand that if you're likable, people want to do business with you. That sounds crazy, right? Why would you want to do business with somebody you like as opposed to somebody who feels like that uh, they got punched in the face by you? So likability is, is a third core attribute. And in my view, the great negotiator combines all three types. The great negotiator is assertive without being aggressive. The great negotiator thinks things through and comes up with multiple options. And the great negotiator develops a good relationship with you and is very likable and you want to continue to do business with them. So whatever your default type is, I'm here to tell you, don't discard it. Add to it by evolving and improving, not by changing. You've said before that you would never lie to anyone that you're not going to kill. My question is about negotiating with an assertive personality and I'm an accommodator. 
and he uh, has anchored high in this business negotiation, and hopefully, uh, so he's he's got something I want. Uh, just trying to figure out how we could best uh, work him down a little bit. All right. So there's a couple of things there. First of all, you you identify this person as an assertive. Of the three personality types, um, I, and I should say all three person of the personality types have something as important to them as making the deal. And what do you think that is for the assertive? Let me let me back up. Let me give it to you. Let me tell you what the accommodator likes more than the deal. Let me tell you what the analyst likes more than the deal, and I'll throw it out to you, Steve, as a question. What you think the assertive for the accommodator? What is as important to them as making the deal is maintaining the relationship, particularly maintaining the relationship in the moment. That's most important to them. You can get into a room with an accommodator, and you guys can come up with absolutely no resolution to what you're talking about, but the accommodator will feel good as long as the relationship is still there. The analyst, what's as important to an analyst than making the deal is data and information. As an analyst, if I go into a negotiation, I don't care. I mean, I do care, but if the, if the deal falls through, I'm okay with it as long as I've been made smarter in the process. Because I'm all about getting more data. I want to confirm the data that I went into the negotiation with. And I want to come out with a little bit more uh, than what I came in with. And if those two things are checked, yes, I'm in a good spot. So, Steve, what do you think is as important to the assertive as making the deal? I, I think in this situation, it's, it's his ego. And I think he wants to be perceived as he is making the best deal for him. You cut off a little bit there. I'm assuming that you said E as in ego. Ego, yes. All right. That's the bottom line. They want to be heard and they want to be respected. And that's fueled by their ego. The deal can go to hell in a handbasket as long as you know when you leave that room that they are the man or that they are the woman. And if that, if that has been satisfied for them, they don't really get wound up around the axle as to whether or not the deal goes through. And so understanding what's important to them, to be heard and respected. People often think of the assertive as being the most difficult of the three to deal with. Reality is they're not. Because all you got to do is shut your mouth and let them drive the bus and they will tell you exactly what you need to know to move them in the direction that you need to move them in. Now, as, as for the high anchor, high anchors, that's a hack. That's a go-to move for everybody because they've read previous books prior to Never Split the Difference coming out and many of those books espousing anchoring high when they know for a fact that everybody else on the other side, everybody else who's receiving that high anchor knows that nobody anchors where they intend on ending up. And so I'm coaching you, Steve. I'm telling you, I'm going to make him or her defend 
that high anchor. Something to the effect of, you know, it sounds like you took that number under a lot of deliberation before you landed on it. Would you be against walking me through how you came up with it? That's going to tell you right away. Are they posturing or is this, is this anchor more solid than, than what you thought it would be? Make them defend it. Let's, let's figure out where that's coming from. In this situation, he, he has told me that he doesn't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg. Why would I want to do that? Is what he's told me in our previous conversation. All right. And so that goes back to what we talked about earlier. Not, don't get caught up in what he said. What, where is that coming from? When somebody tells you, I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg, what is he really telling you? That he's got a business that uh, has a lot of cash flow. And why would he want to give it away for a cheap price? It goes deeper than that, Steve. It goes deep. It's, it's more primal than that. It's more animal than that. Hmm. You're staying on the surface right now. He's telling you something else when he says, I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg. Okay. Why would anybody say that to you? I don't know. I, I bet you do, and I'm going to help walk you through it a little bit. I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg. Translation, I'm afraid that you're going to take advantage of me on price. I'm afraid that you are going to take advantage of the value that I believe um, this product or service holds. I'm afraid of what this is going to make me look like internally if I am asking for 150 bucks and we settle on 100 bucks. What yep. kind of reflection is that going to be of me with my peers internally, with my boss internally? He's telling you, dude, I am under a lot of pressure to make sure that I don't get taken advantage of on this deal. That's what I don't want to lay. I don't want to give away the goose that lays the golden egg is screaming. So it's kind of going back to ego. again. Going back to ego. Sounds like you're under a lot of pressure on your side to come in at a specific margin. Sounds like, sounds like they're kicking you in the teeth on your side of the table to make sure that you're not taken advantage of. Yep. It sounds like you've been burned in the past. That's what it is. It's a, fr it's, it's a fear of something that has to do with his ability to save face. He's either been burned in the past. They're clubbing him about the head and shoulders over this deal, telling him, you better not give it away. And that's what he's afraid of. That is the area of the conversation where you need to focus in on. Stop worrying about 
the actual words that he's using and let's figure out what is that latent dynamic. Now, I threw that out for you, Steve. I'll bet you that what I said to you made sense and it only made sense to you because internally you knew that was going on. You knew that's what that statement meant. You just probably couldn't articulate it uh, because you're still doing this at a, a at a surface level. Most of you are still doing this at a surface level. I want to get you off of the surface. Well, and part of that is because I'm a slow guy from South Dakota, so I'm really just slow. Yeah, well, you said that I didn't. <laughs> but what I will tell you, Steve, is that what you have going for you is you're a human being. And you have the same human nature responses as everybody else. Fear drives you to do certain things. Fear is driving your assertive counterpart into doing and saying certain things. And we collectively as people get so shook up by the fact that somebody says, you take this out of the contract or we're not going to sign. And then we start to freak out and we go back to our people and we say, we got to do something or they're going to walk. When the reality Would is, the you need way to, to work around that be rather than take away or we're not going to sign. If he added in more things and we'll sign. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If they want something added, what are they telling you? You, 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 Steve, are getting all freaked out that he wants to add certain things to it. What does that really say? That he's afraid he's not getting enough, that he's not seeing the value of what's already on the table, and he wants you to sweeten the pot. So let's go after that fear of not being provided the value to find out where, what's generating that, what's, 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 what's causing that. Pushbacks, objections, changes to agreements are all cloaks, cloaks for fear of something. And that's what we need to focus on, not what they're actually ask, asking, saying, or doing. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's an ego thing. I think it's a safe face thing. And that does make sense to me, you know. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good morning. Thank you. Um, Brandon, last time you made some comments on how to deal with analysts and accommodators. I was wondering if you can get a little bit more with assertive people and those that really are stretching things, um, kind of what the process is to manage down with those and negotiate with those people. Um, and maybe even see how they tick or make them tick in a broader direction. So, All right. Fantastic. No, great question. And, and I'm really glad you asked it because we were, we were just talking a little bit about Chris. And for those of you that don't know, Chris's natural type is assertive. And, and I think, you know, to your point about dealing with assertives in general, I think that's a direct effect of his mental fatigue middle of the afternoon because he spent so much energy aggressively coming at people up until that point in the day that it's just, it's hard to keep up that level of aggression or, or assertiveness. And it does in fact wear you out, you know, mentally and physically. And so, um, you know, I think, I think being very cognizant of, 
you know, somewhat, somewhat of what we would call a circadian rhythm, right? A little bit. And knowing that they're probably mentally fatigued and then you can even come at it that way. You know, I, it's late in the day, boss. I'd imagine you've already thought through a lot of decisions and you, 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 you don't really want to think through anymore at this point in the day. Do you have an issue with X? No, bang, you're out the door, right? And um, um, if you're dealing with someone, you know, especially an assertive that maybe sometimes might forget what they said or forget what they committed to because they were just too busy being aggressive. When you get in that moment, you know, three, uh, excuse me, the rule of three is this idea if we get confirmation from someone in some form three times before we move forward. Number one, because people have a tendency to remember things they agreed to three times. And number two, it also creates an emotional moment that we can refer back to later on in the timeline, right? Let's say something blows up. You can go back, when you said this three times, how was I supposed to interpret that, right? And so specifically with dealing with an assertive, do you got a problem with me doing it, doing X? No, okay, that's your, that's your first of three confirmations, as it were, in the moment. You could easily follow that up with a label. Sounds like you're not gonna have any issue with this. No, 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 of course not, but please, please go ahead. All right, and then you could paraphrase it. So you're good with me taking on this effort and handling it this way. Yeah, of course, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's good to go. Go ahead and get out of my office. Now you've gotten that three times and if something blows up or they change their mind down the line, you got that for all intents and purposes, the instant defense. When we talked about this last week and I asked you three times, what, what, what did you want me to interpret from that, right? And now you're essentially off the hook. So that, that's one. And then another one that's just in general with dealing with assertives, we know that they like to talk right? They, they generally have a dissertation they need to get off their chest. Mm -hmm. Mirrors are a great way to navigate your way through that dissertation. And specifically when you're mirroring, right, as they're going on and on, they're going to say stuff that is actually important to you. Eventually, they're going to say something that you want them to focus on. That's what you end up mirroring. Okay. And it very much directs their thought process, kind of like a, you know, like a pinball and a pinball machine, your flippers are the mirrors all intents and purposes but that, thinking, that's a great question i'm thinking specifically i'm dealing with a broker he sources good sites for us um i'm a real estate developer and he sources good sites okay and let's say market commissions are at three percent well he okay. comes and says well i'm bringing all this i want six percent and i'm getting this with xyz and blah 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 and just hammering through and you guys are just not being grateful enough the market is at three and and he's starting to negotiate at six and really just throwing it at your face making facts up and uh how do you is it love to hear more of that maybe it's repeating the same thing uh, that he just said or maybe there's a slight twist to that yeah no great great question so and i, lo I love the uh, clarification here so yes mirrors are going to be helpful right when he's when he's rambling on as it were What's nice is you got a bit of a relationship with this guy and you understand how he works a little bit, how he ticks. And so that should inform you on how what a good accusations audit should look like. And so 
Um, I know you put in the time to source this information, right? You've clearly put in work and obviously you're gonna feel like there's a certain amount of this that belongs to you for X reasons. That could be your start, especially in regards to, uh, you know, these commission percentages and things of that nature, what percentage belongs to him and vice versa. And then go silent, right? Because you want to say, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then you could follow up with, you know, what I got to say next, you're, you're really not going to like. Right? How bad? How how much? Of, how bad of a position would we put you in? What sort of damage do we potentially uh, let ourselves in for by saying we can't we can't do that? By saying that this isn't something that works for us? You know, out the gate we know that this is a problem. What what sort of damage do we let ourselves in for by letting you know this is an issue for us? Right. And then, right, you're putting you're putting the problem back on him to solve, but you're also at the same time sounding him out. Right. You know that he feels like he worked hard. He's deserved and you're worried about causing damage. And now it's easy to work with you. It's easy to respect you and know that you're somewhat trying to protect all of us at the same time. And so that that would kind of be a, a decent start for an interaction with, uh, with, a, with a person of that nature. If you use the proper tone, it will come across as non-accusatory. So, you know, when you consistently disrupt the meeting, I feel like I'm wasting everyone's time because we're not getting done what we need to get done. So you use a proper tone. You're going to call that person out on the carpet. You're going to please everyone else in the room because, you know, if you're in a meeting and you're trying to run a meeting, there's always that one person, that one person that doesn't know when to shut up or always has something to say that nobody else really cares about, but they feel like they have to say it. So you, as the person running the meeting, can use that I message in that situation to basically call them out and do it without being overly mean and overly accusatory. But it is still assertive because, quite frankly, you just called them out in front of a room full of people. So you are being assertive. Um, but I can promise you that everyone in the meeting is noticing and everyone knows it's that one person that, that they always do this. So if you don't address it, it causes you to look weak. So if you do address it, it makes everyone else happy because you've called that person on the carpet and you're going to stop wasting their time. But I will say after that meeting, if you use that technique, you need to pull that person aside and basically address the situation. Okay. Seems like I may have put you on the spot in there. You know, it feels like, you know, you may be a little upset with me for calling you out and you need to address that behavior. Otherwise, you, you're going to create a little monster there. So you need to smooth that over after that meeting if you do call someone out using that iMessage. Okay. An iMessage can also be used to address an ultimatum. So if someone gives you an ultimatum, it's either this or this, you can say, when you give me an ultimatum, I feel like I'm backed into a corner because it limits all the options we have moving forward. Okay, so anytime someone gives you an ultimatum about something, it's very good to throw that I message at them. Okay, um, once again, use it sparingly because it is very assertive. Do we have questions on the I message? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to type, I think we'll pull it up. Is it Archen? Archana, I, I I don't want to say your name wrong, but if you can come off a of mute. Yeah, that's correct. It's Archana. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, my question was um, when you use this uh, I, I message, could it be misconstrued as perhaps you are the only one in the room feeling that way? And how do you uh, make sure that you're basically speaking for the group or everybody and not just uh, portraying your individual personal emotions? Right. Good question. One thing I will say is because you should use it sparingly and it's very assertive, you want to try other methods first. So if you have this person that's constantly disruptive, you can say, wow, it seems like you have a lot to say today. <laughs> seems like you have something to add to the, to the conversation. You can try anything to point out, hey, you're, you're, you're overdoing it. You can try labels and other things first. You should use this kind of as a last resort and to really call them out. And by that time, if you've tried to address this behavior, you can read the room. You can see everyone else's nonverbal reactions in the room to know. If you see people going like this, like, geez, here this guy goes again. You're going to know that you feel the same way. Everybody else feels the same way as you. And so addressing the situation is going to be the best way to handle it. Now, this is somebody and you're in a meeting and it's someone you just have this personal thing with that everything they say irritates you might not be the best time to use an iMessage. That might be something you deal with in private outside of the actual meeting. Because if no one else has a problem with this person and you call them out with an iMessage in front of everyone, you're the one that's going to look like the big bad bully. So you kind of have to read the room first. Okay, that makes sense. And if it's someone you know you have a personal issue with, you want to, you can still use the iMessage. You just don't want to do it in front of a room full of people at that point. Make sense? Thank you. Mm -hmm. you, you have the I versus we. If you're in the room and, and you're looking around the room and everybody's rolling their eyes every time that person says something mm -hmm. and you could tell that it's dragging a meeting along and, and and you'll see it by everybody's body language. That's a time after if it becomes so persistent that it's just it's just counterproductive to the meeting. That's when you want to use that I message, you know, get it, get it out there. Usually that one individual, everybody else is going to smile or. In, in in their face, they're going to be showing you that that's what I wanted to say, but didn't have the courage to say. And you'll move on from there because they'll see it. You you can read a room and most people can read the room. You know, if you walk in the room and everybody start talking, you get nervous that they're talking about you. Same thing Absolutely. when you're in the room and you see people, you see one person doing things that's counterproductive and everybody else is genuinely trying to get this get this meeting accomplished or get everything done. You'll see that from the person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good, that was a good question. The other big problem with tactical empathy, the execution of the demonstration of tactical empathy is people think that if I show that I'm tactically empathetic, it's going to convey weakness on my part. It's going to convey that they have an opening for me to take advantage of. Because you see, in my mind, you're thinking tactical empathy and assertiveness are mutually exclusive to one another. You're either going to be tactically empathetic or you're going to be assertive. You can't be both. And the fact of the matter is tactical empathy is the required precursor to your being assertive right before you're going to drop the bomb on them right before you're going to say it doesn't work for us. Nothing short or nothing more complicated than I'm sorry, I'm afraid. That's very generous. It's clear that you guys are trying to move in our direction. 
we just can't do that. This is your, this is your actual shortcut to being more assertive because at the end of the day, you've got a goal, you've got an objective in every difficult conversation. I want, or I need is in your head. I want, or I need is in the head of your counterpart. Which means at some point you're going to state that goal and objective. You're going to draw your line in the sand. You're going to make your ask or you're going to state whatever your case in chief is. Prior to doing that, tactical empathy. It's always tactical empathy first. Your goal, your objective comes last. The best way for you to put your foot down is to soften it with being tactically empathetic. Instead of thinking in terms of compromise, which is a silly idea, think in terms of high value trades. What can you trade this person in order to keep the value levels satisfied on both sides? That doesn't have to do with cutting your price. What else is there? How can you convey that there's no more movement on price. High value trades. Brandon. Yes. There's a question in the chat. Um, how do we deal with assertives when we know we can't give them what they want up front? Great, great question. So first of all, the number one tool to use on an assertive is going to be a mirror. We talk about rapport and info gathering in the last session. We will go over mirrors then. Why is that good? Assertives have a tendency to talk a lot. They have a tendency to browbeat you with their point of view. They don't like to be interrupted and it's very counterproductive. Mirroring helps them connect their thoughts together, lets them know you're tracking the whole time and gives the implication or the understanding that you get it without having to do a full summary or without having to say the words, I get it or I understand or please go on. What, what do you mean by that? You can use the mirror. So first of all, you have to have mirrored them a bunch. The other part of this is not every negotiation should be turned into a deal. Part of any negotiation is essentially a qualification process. Should I be doing business with you? We talk about in the book, all of you have seen this. No deal is always better than a bad deal. No deal allows you to free up your time and attack the next great opportunity that's actually gonna help you. A bad deal will put you to through three to five. Sometimes I feel bad for some of these people in the corporate world, 10, 12 years of heartache and pain. I got a, I got a client right now trying to break loose from, I won't name the company, but wanted to get in bed with them because they are who they are. They have had a year of heartache. And all we talk about in our coaching sessions is how to amicably sever that relationship because they have performance things they gotta get done, there's demands that need to be met, and they can't stand dealing with these MFers anymore. And so, if you can't give them what they want, maybe that's a good thing. And so not every deal should be made when dealing with an assertive mirror, Get a that's, you hit the nail on the head before you start laying out demands in the form of iMessages or potentially thought-shaping questions. Can you put an example, but on a business, um, like a business example, how, how somebody could be assertive? 
on a business negotiation. So in a business negotiation, if you if if there's a certain price that they want to get, and you have a different uh, price that you that you think it should be, and we had this conversation earlier today, mm-hmm. the assertive is going to say, "This is where we need to be at. Take it or leave it." You know, I've already done everything. I know what the price should be at. I know what the market is. You're trying to get over on me. I need to get it at this price. Okay. So that's good. I'm that, I'm that type, you know, but also analyst because when it comes to negotiations, you always want to be hearing the other part uh, that's analyzing what they want and what they need. But then if it comes to time for a negotiation for a price, um, you know, this is the best I can do for you, but uh, if this doesn't accommodate for what you're looking for, perhaps there's other options for you. So these are two types combined, correct? So, so yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Ricardo. But here's what, I want you, here's what I want you to think about when you're thinking about your type. When you've got skin in the game and you're in the room with me and I smash you in the face with the brick, what are you going to do? When I come into the room and I start attacking you with ad hominem attacks about your company, about your character, about your integrity, about your product, about your service, what are you going to do? When the emotions are high, pressure is on, and I'm painting you into a corner and I'm limiting your options, what are you going to do? They'll be analysts, you know. We're going to fight, we're going to make friends, or we're going to run. So don't think of this in terms of who you are and who you're trying to identify. Don't think of this in terms of your day-to-day life, because in your day-to-day life, yes, you have to be some of everything. But I'm talking about when you're threatened. Right. In the heat of the moment. Where do you go? It's, it's you know, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until <laughs> you get punched in the face. <laughs> we right? we right. use that all and the time. that's exactly right. right. <laughs> that's right. We use it all the time. In the normal negotiation, um, I try to, I'm, I'm mostly an accommodator, but when you have an assertive across the table and he tries to push forward with his facts, push forward with his opinions. It's hard being an accommodator to actually win that argument because you have all these facts being thrown at you, all these information, and then you're just trying to, you kind of shy away in, a, in, in, in that sort of situation. What, what's the best way to make the other side actually hear you and your points and your, your facts that you're trying to put across? So remember at the top, we said the C was the curiosity. Mm-hmm. You want to stay curious. Why is he throwing out these numbers? Why is he doing this? Why is he trying to get get you confused? His whole intention is to make you think negative thoughts, not be able to communicate well, forget about what your plan of action is, how you're going to get there. And so now he's just he's just messed with your brain. That, that amygdala is messed up. <laughs> now you can't think straight. So you you're going to start giving in to whatever he wants because you're not used to having to deal with that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's when you want to start labeling and mirroring. We always we always the labeling and mirroring. It seems like you've done some research. It sounds like you're saying this because you have a number in mind. 
Okay. Shane, and, 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 and can I, Shane, are you, are you an accommodator? Is that why you posed I would that say, question? Yes, I would say so. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, as an accommodator dealing with an assertive, think of yourself, they, first of all, they love dealing with you because you guys will get smacked around the room and <laughs> enjoy it and not say I, anything about I've, it. I've had that once in once or twice in the past, to be honest. Right. And, and so first, knowing, know that going in, the assertive automatically enjoys being in the room with you. You are at an advantage because all you have to do is shut up to maintain the relationship. If they're talking to Troy's point, you are learning. And most people view the assertive as the most difficult negotiation partner when in reality, they're the easiest. They're the easiest to deal with because I don't have to say anything. They just want, they want to drive. They want to pontificate. They want to tell me how smart, brilliant, and just bad they are. And so I let them do that. Now, there are ways once you get them to, once, once, once you've allowed them to share their vision, once you've allowed them to dump their bucket, once you allowed them to push out all the data and information that they wanted to put out, there's nothing that says that it's now not your turn. And so respectfully, deferentially, you're just going to set them up with a, a, after you've labeled and mirrored everything that they've given you, you're going to set them up with a no oriented question. Uh, simply something like this. Are you, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to share that with me. Are you against me walking you through what our vision is on how this is going to play out? Let that sit for one or two seconds. No oriented question. You're trying to generate that no response, but uh, no verbal response, but the actual result is a yes. And then right before you jump into all of your data and information, you're going to set it up with the accusations audit which is what we're going to talk about next. And that is, this is going to catch you off guard. You're going to think that I'm naive and don't have a good appreciation of what the market looks like. And let that sit. One, okay. 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And now you lay out your side of the story. So while he thought he was bulldozing you, steamrolling you, when he was throwing out all of his data and information, the reality is he was giving you information that you were going to now use to state your case in chief. Make sense? Makes sense. So basically take the 45 second gap that you suggested and kind of wait up and build your position. It's not going to be a 45 second gap. It's just going to be, let them go. You know, when you first sit down with this assertive, simply simply make this statement. It seems like you have a vision for how this is going to work out. You open that up to an assertive and you can just sit back for the next 10 minutes. You're not going to be able to say one thing because they're just going to all of this information on you. Now you pick your spots, label and mirror, paraphrase, whatever you get, especially those things that support your position, right? <laughs> and then you switch it around and now you're going to give it to them. So the time limit is however much time they take. You just, we're not in a hurry. So if it takes them three hours to get through to their point, we'll wait there for three hours. Thanks for that. Yeah. So if you're talking about the 45 seconds to a minute, that's when they're attacking you. Uh, you know, that's when you let up just it'll it'll pass. But just like he said, the assertive, they'll they'll talk. And every time you do a dynamic silence, they think it's their turn to talk. Let them. Makes it a lot easier for you. 80% of the time in the negotiations, we're gonna have the accommodator voice. 
We're going to be friendly. We're going to be kind. We're going to be considerate. We're going to want to build that relationship. The other 20% of the time, you want to have the late night DJ voice. That's where you're going to be precise. You're going to be direct. You're going to speak very clearly in an effort to get across what you need to get across. And a good time that you use that is when you're stating your position. So let's let's start with talking about mastering mastering the no. This is letting them hear no, letting them feel no without actually saying the words no. And so for your best results, it's going to be tactical empathy on the front end and then however you're going to say no. And we'll talk about the four phases of no in a, in a later session. But you're letting them hear it, letting them feel it without you actually saying it. Um, Ned, Ned Coletti used to manage the Dodgers back in the day. And um, he was famous for saying, I like to let out no a little bit at a time. And so we're going to talk about ways to actually push back against the other side without cornering themselves and without cornering you. Mastering their weaknesses, their weaknesses. Where do you think, where do you think the cutthroat's weakness lies? Not having control. That's one of them. They need to feel like they're in control. The assertive, the cutthroat negotiators are looked upon as some of the most difficult people to deal with in a difficult conversation and negotiation. From my perspective, they're the easiest because they want to feel like they're in control and they want to feel like they got the best deal that they could. The operative word in both of those is feel. Yeah, Chris tells a story all the time about um, being in the international kidnapping market and the powers that be wanting to know when are they going to release when are they going to release the kidnapped victim? And Chris's standard response was when they feel like they've gotten everything that they could, when they feel like they got the best price possible doesn't mean that they actually end up with the best price possible. They just need to feel like they did. And, and so we're talking about feelings and how stupid is that when you're talking about international kidnappers and terrorists, we're talking about how they, how they feel. And so our job is to make them feel in control as early as possible, using deference, using subordination. You may even want to say, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that you've got the upper hand here. It's clear that you're in control here. They'll eat it up. They'll, they'll eat it up. You try it one time when you, when you go into an area, a space in your organization where you don't have the same cachet as you do in your own, but you bring to the table a special knowledge or skill or ability that's going to help this other space improve their ability to do their job. And when you come in there, you're viewed as an interloper, you're viewed as an outsider. 
And so as a result, you'll likely get pushback for any idea, any suggestion that you make because it's not your area and you're encroaching. And the sooner you recognize that and defer to that, the more cooperation and, and um, non-obligatory buy-in you'll get from the other side. So for someone that has lost maybe control or not, not control, they, they've had a bad conversation. They got on the phone with someone, they're negotiating, I don't know, a, a deal where they're doing, let's say it's 3000 a month or $5,000 a month, right? It's a deal for a year. It's worth 60 grand in all. Um, and they've had, a, they've had a bad conversation and they can't get the person to call them back or they haven't been able to. What's the next steps? Are you following up, following up, follow up, follow up, like, you know, Grant Cardone style? Or are you letting it go and moving on to the next one? Like, what's, what's your technique for, all right, the, that conversation didn't go well. What's next? All right, so I value my time. You know, um, if, if you're too hard for me to get to, I'm probably not going to continue the follow-up. However, my next follow-up is going to be a two-pronged approach. I'm going to send you a one-line message. It's going to go in an email or it's going to go in a text. And it's going to be one line and one line only. And I'm going to say, have you given up on doing business with me? Or have you given up on the, the sale or whatever it is? Have you, and I have sent that message out. Have you given up on X? Now, 999 times out of 1,000, which is pretty good batting average, <laughs> I'm going to get a response back somewhere between 3 and 30 minutes from sending that out. And it has to go out like that word for word. Hmm. I had a woman once said to me, I sent that text out and it didn't work. And I'm like, all right, cool, interesting, possible. Tell me word for word what you sent out and she said yeah well i thought that sounded a little harsh you know and so instead of saying have you given up on doing business with me i sent out a lot a message and said should we give up on having lunch together so we can discuss the process and i'm like i wouldn't answer that either <laughs> and you and you gotta understand where there is uh you got to be careful of the we crap. Your boss comes to you and said, hey, look, we got a problem. Is that what the boss means? Yeah. <laughs> no. He's like, you got a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> and so we disguise, you know, we use we as a disguiser for you all the time. It's just, it's so bad. So the, the one line is, have you given up on doing business with me? Word for word. Now, you're going to get a response in anywhere from three to 30 minutes. I'm not kidding. But now... What do you do to follow up? They haven't been listened to. They're not talking to you because you've shown them that you don't listen to them. So when you get them back on the phone, what you have to do is summarize a perspective from their situation. Mm. Do not repeat your pitch. <laughs> do not repeat what caused them to go dark in the first place. It sounds summarize. so logical, but man, so many people do that. Everybody does it. <laughs> You know, su summarize it from their perspective and throw in, you know, you're probably having a hard time with this. You probably think I'm not paying attention to you. You got to especially summarize the stuff that you don't like. I mean, I would ask anybody listening to this also take a look at my TED talk because that's when I say, I must say it eight times. 
summarize the stuff you don't like. Summarize the stuff from their perspective. Meaning what? What does that look like? All right. What that looks like is they're not getting back to you because they don't feel listened to. So you say you're probably not getting back to me because you don't feel listened to. You're probably, you know, they're not getting back to you because the process is not moving them forward. You say, you know what? This process probably hasn't moved you forward at all. You're probably asking yourself why you're talking to me at all. Because that is, in fact, what's going on. You got to get the voice in their head to shut up. You don't get the voice in their head to shut up by contradicting it. You get the voice in their head to shut up by articulating what it's saying. Mm. Now, suddenly, you resonate with the voice in their head. And you keep at this until they say to you, that's right. Ah, So if you get it wrong, it's not over. You just keep saying, okay, well, then maybe this. Well, the great thing is, if you're actually trying to solve it or articulate it from their perspective, if you get it wrong, they're going to go, no, 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 that's not it. This is what it is. They'll correct you. Mm. Now, that being corrected is one of the ideal places on a planet to be because people love to correct, and when they correct, they tell you the truth. I, I, I want you to repeat that one more time for the audience to hear because I don't think very many people understand that. So one more time for the audience in the back. Being corrected is one of the ideal places on the planet to be. Mm. The other side loves it, which means now they're in an interaction with you that they love, Mm. which bodes well for future interactions. Mm. And when they correct, they tell you the truth. So to the people out there that are like, oh man, if I feel corrected, I feel like they think that I'm not credible or that that I don't know what I'm talking about and therefore they're going to see me as less and not want to do business with me. What would you say to that? You're leaving money on the table. Mm. You are killing yourself. You are, you know, it's an emotional intelligence move, one of the smartest moves on a planet. And your fear is getting in your way. And your fear is stopping you from living in a bigger house. Mm. I love that. I love that. So you said it was a two-pronged approach. And maybe we covered the second one already. But the first one was that text or that email, one line. What was part two of that? Yeah, get a that's right out of them. Part one is to get a no out of them. Part two is to get a that's right out of them. You get a that's right out of them. Now, your next move is is exactly this. I'm going to do it perfectly. Dead freaking silence. Shut the front door. Shut up. <laughs> Let them fill the void. So because it, if they reply back, you just don't reply. When, when you get a that's right out of them, they will never be more inclined towards you than they are in that moment. Mm. The secret of negotiation is letting the other side have your way. At that point in time, let them give you the deal. Let them outline it for you. Now, in the extremely unlikely event that they don't, but you have to give them a chance to do so. Count 1,000s in your, you know, one 1,000, two 1,000. If you get to 10, and only if you get to 10, then you say, how would you like to proceed? And, and that's if you're on, like, on the phone with them, not via email. Exactly. I mean, you... Um, it's hard to get a that's right out of somebody via email. Emails are bad moves. Emails are playing chess and you don't want to make seven chess moves in one email. Mm-hmm. 
So this is on the phone in person. So you get out. Okay. All get right. a, that's right out of them verbally. Shut the front door. If you count to 10 and you will not, you're, you will get to three and they'll start talking again. But that's in the nice. event, you got to wait to 10. Very deferentially, you hit him with the magic H question. How would you like to proceed? How would you like to proceed? Now you know the roadmap and you know the best possible roadmap. If it doesn't work for you, you just made yourself smarter and you move on. And you move on. That's awesome. That's so, so good. How, what would you say to people, and, and you've mentioned this several times in this. You just recently opened an art gallery and just started no, in business? I've had my business for 23 years. And you, and, and you deal with pushovers um, on a regular basis? <laughs> I deal with... Um, rich people and billionaires um, billionaires yes and they I get, also, used to get in their way they do get their way they they plow um, over everybody or and you recently to. found a book your brother talked you into yes, it I did. thank god you listened to your brother because you didn't want to read the book I've had I'm I'm fairly successful and I usually don't fairly have successful roadblocks. I think you're ridiculously successful had, right well I'm I'm okay I'm good I feel I'm lucky but I had one situation that was really bothering me for it was an over three years an agreement that had just not been honored and I was trying every which way in the ways I thought were natural to me to basically Fix push it. back yeah. you know and the tougher he got the tougher I got and we right. just kept going back and forth back and forth and he had dug his heels in and I was just basically punching the air for three years yeah and then I read the book yeah thought okay I'm gonna try it and yeah. there's no way it's gonna work but I'm gonna try it I'm gonna try <laughs> and literally within seven days I got a wire for seven hundred thousand dollars and um, I was shocked. Truly you were shocked. working on it for a year and you solved three it in years. seven, three years. Three years. Solved I, in seven days. This was outstanding, this issue. We couldn't come to a, a meeting of the minds. Sound like you were outstanding. I was not willing to cave, which I think is a shock on the other side. Yeah. They're used to people just caving. And right. I'm not a caver, but I wasn't going to let it. You grew go up in away. New York? You're yeah. from here? So you're a tough New York chick. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> So, and you think you know, in the art world, you're dealing with art that it's a very soft, lovely kind of, you know. That'd be tough, right? Commodities tough. dealers, commodities exchange, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the numbers are real and, and there's people that are affected if it's, uh, it's real money. You so, having fun here today? Yeah, it's great. Totally great. You, you. You're at one of our special master classes. So, is that what that says? It's I've, a master class yeah. on tactical empathy. Well, that and I, you're having yeah. a good time. I was thrilled to well, see that place. you were coming. So. Thank you for coming today. We, we, yeah. we, we are grateful actually, that you were here. Actually, I need advice. I want to give this book to my sales team, but I'm afraid they'll use it on me. So how what do you, you think I have that? to deal with on a regular basis? Everybody in my, in my company uses it on me. We work together, though. It's for great collaboration. Yeah. The whole purpose is how do we create collaboration whether the other side wants to collaborate or not because we got to collaborate. So I have a negotiating approach, which is a win-win. If I win, I want everyone to win. Yeah. I have a lot of people that I do business with that they don't feel satisfied or that they've achieved anything unless there's a loser on the end of the deal. So they want a winner or loser. So we, we, we let them feel that way. It's, okay. it's not what actually happened is how they felt about it. Okay. And we make yeah. people feel the way we, they want to feel to feel like they got a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Like in this situation, this guy feels like he really got one over on me and I feel totally satisfied that I got the, the 700 grand. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, truly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question from a friend who's asking, um, <laughs> who is asking how to deal with assertives who are giving out orders, immediately taking charge when they first meet. 
um, practically they immediately start ordering ordering them around and it's one of those classical situations where you think of all of the great things you should you could have said only long afterwards uh, how to deal with people who assume control take charge of the encounter um, practically it's kind of like a pretty over bullying situation let's say uh, avoiding meetings with people is not always possible with these kind of people is not always possible especially in a work environment so how do you like even referring to ego authority failure how do you handle a situation like that all right so let me ask you a question before i answer amber and that is when you are subjected to that kind of behavior what does that do for you emotionally internally um cognitively what does that do for you okay um knowing this person it probably causes her to freeze my me personally when people do that to me it's depends on the situation it can either trigger a angry response or else i personally go into differential mode i switch on my customer service hat uh it's not always the case of course mm -hmm. however this person in particular is often um bullied at uh at work like this and has been trying to deal with the situation best they can they just don't have many techniques down yeah understood understood so um the first thing that i would recommend that you share with them is we're always with the black swan method we're always on the hunt for the motivating factors what's driving the behavior we get so wrapped around the axle that this person comes in and throws their weight around and gets bullied and, and takes over the show on every project that they get involved in and how that makes us feel that we don't look what at what the driving motivation is behind the behavior. For every behavior, for every statement, for every question, there is a reason behind it. And your challenge, your friend's challenge is going to be, how do I uncover what that real reason is? Part of that is going to be intuitive. Part of that you're gonna pick up simply because your gut is telling you. If you're willing to listen, that's where most people fail, is that they're unwilling to listen to their subconscious. Your brain um, is, a, is a powerful supercomputer. They've been trying to duplicate the computing process of the brain in desktop and laptop computers for decades, and they cannot do it. Your brain, your conscious brain processes probably 40 bits of information per second. Your subconscious brain, i.e. your intuition, your gut processes 20 million bits of information per second. There's a lot of data coming at you from the other side that's going to scream at you what's going on with them. That's where your frame of mind needs to be, is determining what is motivating the behavior. The bullying is incidental. The taking over of the conversations and being very aggressive is incidental. There's something that's driving that. And so... I know you're a third party in this conversation, but I want you to use your supercomputer, Amber, and, and tell me 
when you're subjected to the person that's coming at you with both barrels and they're being aggressive, they're being bullying, they're, they're, they're bullying you, they're trying to push you around a room, assert their authority, impose their will, what do you think is going on with them internally? They probably feel threatened. They trouble, probably trying to take over uh, control because they see, uh, like they're they're afraid that you will maybe outshine them or something of the sort. Like especially if it's a situation where it's a boss dealing with a, a millennial, like an an older boss dealing with millennials, for example. That's that's one thing I've noticed. Um, very often these people they have a very very little self-esteem and they see some the other person as like the other day with sandy uh we're talking about the body posture probably in my talking right now because i'm crouched over again i'm coming across as much weaker than what i actually am if i would assume the proper body posture so there's a lot of that in the mix all right all of that, I never said that I was worried about being outshined. I never said that I was worried about having something taken from me. But those are all signals that you picked up based on this scenario as presented. That is your subconscious brain telling you this is the data that I'm picking up from the other side. What is the best way to manage that person in that situation is to identify and verbalize what you just told me. They're being threatened. Fear of loss is the single biggest driver of human decision-making and behavior. What you just described for me was a fear of loss on the part of the person who is acting out in the fashion that you described. They're afraid of being outshined. They're afraid that the boss is going to take favor over someone else's idea as opposed to theirs. And that is a loss of face, mm. self-esteem, respect. Mm. And that is what's generating that. So the sooner that you, for example, use a label to identify that for the other person, the further along the path of mitigating that counterproductive behavior you go because even the aggressive bully who just can't seem to keep their mouth shut and seems to take over every team meeting that you have they're telling you by the behavior that you don't get it mm -hmm. and the sooner that you demonstrate for them that you indeed do get it the better off both of you are going to be and the chances of you correcting, air quotes, that behavior becomes possible. Because it doesn't matter where they fall on the spectrum, assertive, analyst, or accommodator, everybody wants someone else to understand what they're going through. And this is good for all of you when you're talking about counterproductive behavior, persistent, counterproductive behavior because that's what was just described to me because you said this happens often to this particular person mm. this that is the the counterpart jumping up and down screaming that you're not getting something so when you're faced with 
any type of counterproductive behavior that's persistent, whether it's taking over meetings, being a bully, uh, speaking with you aggressively. Your challenge is to find out where it's coming from. And counterproductive behavior, the likes of which I just described, is done primarily for three reasons. You don't, you're, you're missing something. That's reason number one. You're failing to be sensitive to something that's important to them. Reason number two, they're under tremendous pressure from somewhere on their side of the table and you've failed to acknowledge it or they're doing it because they're trying to manipulate you or get over on you. You have to stay in the moment to figure out which one of those three it is. Because if it's the first two, nothing is going to get better until you address those negatives as they see it. If it's the third, if they're trying to manipulate, there's nothing in our playbook that says that you need to be victimized by manipulation. And so with, with persistent counterproductive behavior, you need to address it because the longer that you let it go, the less influence you're going to have with the other person. In other words, if, if, if I repeatedly smack you in the face with a brick every time that we talk, I'm going to think to myself, Amber's just going to sit there and take it, so I'm going to continue to do it. And every time that I'm able to do it, your ability to influence me becomes less and less and less until the, the relationship just spirals out of control. Yeah. Is that helpful, Amber? Extremely helpful. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, Andrea made a good point, which is um, she says my rule of thumb is that I'm always striving um, to be more effective to move ahead, essentially. Exactly. And exactly. that's exactly what this is, right? Because it's like, do we need to be nice just to be nice because that's a societal expectation? No, like that's not why we're doing this, right? We're not doing this because that's just what's expected of us from men or from larger society, right? We're doing this because we want to make deals happen. We want to, we want to have a working relationship with people. We want to, it's, it's motivated by larger things. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing. And keep in mind that with this black swan method, it's a group of skills that you can use to your benefit. So what you're doing is you're taking these skills and you're using them on the other side to your benefit. So it's not that you're having to change your personality or who you are. You're adapting to the situation and using these skills so that you're more effective, you know, in the boardroom, in the job interview, in the salary negotiation, um, because you can only control yourself. So if you control your tone and what comes out of your mouth, you'll be surprised how that will be mirrored from the other side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yvonne just mentioned, um, that she said is um is assertiveness something that you learned was it part of your character because she's really more of than like nice kind and she feels like that's a disadvantage and um i feel like well i mean sandy and i have talked about this because sandy's more assertive naturally i'm more the accommodator naturally um and it is something that you have to learn it's more like learning how to have boundaries and saying no um and I really do like personally, I use labels 
all the time. I use them on dates. I use them on, I use them with my parents. I use them on, like I use them all the time, not just in business cases, because it's a really great way where I can keep my like, my natural tone of voice that is very accommodating, but then I can also make it very clear, like draw lines in the sand. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like you think I don't know about this already. Or it seems like you, right? Like where I can use that tone of voice, that's a little bit of a, that's an, that's an assertive one. Okay. Just for the record, but that you really can use it to draw lines in the sand while maintaining your persona. You don't have to lose that in order to draw, draw lines and be assertive. Right. Exactly. Um, I will say that of the three personality types, the assertive is where you never want to be. So if you are naturally assertive, it's actually harder for you because when you're using these skills, the place where you should live, your your go-to place to use these skills is as an accommodator because 80% of the conversation is going to be in that playful, friendly, nice voice. It's when you get to your pitch or your ask, when you want something specific from someone, that's when you're going to go into that analyst voice and that's the lower octave, not quite as friendly, very serious, very, you know, monotone because that's going to draw attention to what you're saying because that's what you really want them to listen to so you're playful and friendly until you want to come across with this is the important thing that i'm talking about you're going to go down you're going to slow down and they're going to focus in because you just changed everything and you'll be surprised to see how people will literally focus in on you when you start to change that voice because you're actually manipulating them without doing it you flip a little switch in their brain when you use that voice okay so that's where you should be the other 20 percent of the time if you want to be assertive Go to the gym, punch a punching bag, (laughs) scream and holler, throw some paint at a wall that's supposed to be having paint thrown at it. Do something else. Um, It is hard, I will say, if you are naturally assertive to hold yourself in that accommodator's position, it's exhausting because for me, I'm just naturally blunt and sarcastic and, you know, I'm I'm, just just me. I'm unfiltered 90% of the time. So you really have to try hard to stay in that accommodator place. So if you are an accommodator, don't work toward being more assertive because you really don't need to be. These skills work best from an accommodating viewpoint, okay? With that accommodator's voice. That's where they work the best because you know you're not gonna come across as something that people can get defensive toward if you're in the accommodator's voice. Mm 